0: Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, you speak and we listen. By the power of your Spirit, give us the word we need to hear this day to move forward in our life of faith with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today's reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Listen now for God's word to you. And to me. Now, the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord." For nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were, The Spirit told me to go with them and to not make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. The word of the Lord. The oddest game in high school Texas high school football history has to be the game between Grapevine Faith and Gainesville State. When Gainesville State ran out onto the field, it was the Grapevine fans, not their own, it was the Grapevine fans who made the 40 yard spirit line for them to run through. And during the game, 200 Grapevine fans sat on the Gainesville side cheering for the Gainesville players to tackle their own kids. I'm from Texas. This does not happen. And even though Grapevine won the game by a convincing 33 to 14, the Gainesville players, despite the loss, were so happy at the end of the game, they gave their head coach a squirt bottle shower. It was the oddest high school football game in Texas history. Then police officers came out onto the field to escort the Gainesville players back to the bus that would take them back to Gainesville State Maximum Security Correctional Facility. It was the oddest high school football game in Texas history. And it all happened because the head coach of Grapevine Faith, Chris Hogan, felt called to do something special for the kids at Gainesville. Faith had never played Gainesville before, but Coach Hogan already knew the score. Faith was 7-2 going into the game. Gainesville was 0-8 with only two touchdowns the whole year. Faith had 70 kids and 11 coaches and the latest equipment. Gainesville had kids convicted for drugs, assault, and robbery, and outdated helmets and worn-out shoulder pads. Faith, man, they had a loyal fan base. Gainesville always played before empty stands. Many of their families had disowned them, some before they ended up in prison. When he learned about all the challenges faced by the Gainesville players, Coach Hogan got this idea that he couldn't shake. What if, what if I could get half of our fans to cheer for the other team? In an email, Coach Hogan asked the faith parents to do just that. Here's the message I want you to send, he wrote. You are just as valuable as any other person on planet Earth. Some people were rightly confused a bit. One faith player walked into Hogan's office. Coach, he said, why why are we doing this? He responded, imagine if you did not have a home life. Imagine if everybody had pretty much given up on you. Now imagine what it would mean for hundreds of people to suddenly believe in you. After the game, both teams gathered in the middle of the field to pray, and that's when Isaiah, one of the kids going back to prison, asked to lead the prayer. This is what Isaiah prayed. Lord, I don't know how this happened, so I don't know how to say thank you, but I never would have known There were so many people in the world that cared about us. When news of Peter's encounter with the Gentiles, when it reaches Jerusalem, it's the leading edge of a tsunami that would forever alter the landscape of faith. Gentiles, outsiders, unclean folks, pagans even, had received the word of God. And the disciples in Jerusalem, they think Peter... Peter is the one to blame. Sure, Jesus hinted that this might happen, but this has gone way too far. Yes, God loves everyone, we know that, but what about us? What about our way of doing things? How are we to keep practicing the faith as we understand it when people who don't even have a basic understanding of what faithfulness looks like are welcomed into the family of faith? This new development is not a welcomed one. The word of God is received by Gentiles, by outsiders, before they align themselves with the best practices and traditions. And nothing would ever be the same. There's an old Jewish story about a student reading the Torah. He stops when he comes to Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, that reads, "...and these words..." which i command you this day shall be upon your heart why is it said this way the young student asked the old wise rabbi why are we not told to why are we told to put these words on our heart and not in our heart the rabbi smiles it's not within our power to place divine teachings directly into our hearts All we can do is place them on the surface of the heart so when the heart breaks, they'll drop in. I kind of imagine the disciples in Jerusalem were a mixed bag that day. When they heard what had happened between Peter and some Gentiles, I bet they had an odd mix of feelings going on inside. On the one hand, I'm guessing they were a little bit thrilled, (laughs) That more people were coming to believe the good news of Jesus Christ, but there was this other feeling, the stronger feeling, the feeling of sadness and loss. Why was this good news so heartbreaking? We know why it was heartbreaking, don't we? Change is hard. Change is hard because change involves loss, and loss always, no matter what we do, always involves grief. Things change, and even if we're excited about the new thing, our hearts break, if only just a little. After two decades of studying Scripture, theology, and honestly, people, I have come to believe that the location where faith is most vibrantly lived out is not in places of comfort and stability and familiarity, but rather in the places of tension. For us, that tension is the tension created by an obedience to the treasured words and traditions of the past and an openness to the new thing that God is saying or doing here and now. In order for our faith to be relevant and interesting and transformative to both us and to other people, we have to be people of the book and people of the Spirit. People who honor all that has come before and people who are willing to let it all go if that's what it takes to participate in God's work, to be grounded and growing at the same time. What moves the leaders in Jerusalem from skeptics to believers, what enables them to accept this new thing that Peter is talking about is that they come to understand pretty quickly that Peter is not the one to blame for this seismic shift in their faith life. God's the one to blame. What Peter is describing here is not a random human initiated event, it is a continuation of what God has been doing from the beginning. Peter was given a vision, a sign from God that shattered all his assumptions. And the assumptions that were shattered are the very ones that had given meaning and purpose to the people of God for centuries. In one moment, God demolishes the purity codes, transforms the rules around table fellowship, who is in and who is out. Practices that were given by God to the people of God for a purpose are no longer essential, it seems. In fact, their very presence now hinders the expansion of God's kingdom here on earth. God speaks to Peter, the Spirit does its thing, Peter tells the story, and everything changes. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. This familiar and favorite phrase of Jesus is more than just a proclamation of his interpretive power, I believe it's an invitation for us to put the recorded Word of God in dialogue and conversation with the spoken Word of God. This encounter with God that Peter shares with his colleagues is a sacred moment of reorientation where we are taught an essential lesson of faith. What God has said in the past is always pressing up against and is challenged by what God is saying now we understand this, I think, pretty well. As a church, after two years of a pandemic, we are trying to figure out what we should hold on to and what we should let go of. As we seek to spread the good news of God's love to more and more people, we're trying to figure out what's essential and what is not. We are trying to figure out together what the Spirit wants us to embrace and what it wants us to let go of. And just as was the case 2,000 years ago when the leaders in Jerusalem were trying to make sense of this new word from God, there is a question rising up in us, both collectively and I think also individually, a question that must be answered. How do we do it? How do we discern? How do we figure out what is essential and what can be cast aside? Well, what confirms that Peter's disregard for century-old rules and regulations has God's seal of approval is the very presence and power of the Spirit of God, not just in the faithful, but in those who have not yet embraced the foundational practices of the Jewish faith. Outsiders receive the Spirit of God as they were, not as the faithful hoped they would be. And if God gave them the same Spirit God gave us, then who are we to hinder the work of God? When the Apostle Paul identifies the characteristics of those who are given the gift of God's Spirit in his letter to the Galatians, I find it really interesting, interesting how broadly he defines someone who's imbued by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, he says, is love and joy and peace. Patience and kindness and generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. People of the Spirit don't practice certain rituals or customs. They behave in a way that reflects the way of Christ, the way of love. Paul does not talk about how people dress or how they vote or how they talk or how they earn a living. Paul talks about characteristics of behavior that transcend all the distinctions we use to separate us one from another. The Spirit of God does not draw distinctions. It empowers acts of faith in each and every one, which really makes me wonder what would happen to us, to our church, to the world. What would happen if every time we saw people outside the church, outside faith as we understand it, what if every time we saw them practicing love and joy and peace, patience, kindness and generosity, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, What if whenever we saw them doing these things, we saw them as people of the Spirit, people who have received the Word of God that speaks beyond the page and falls into every single broken heart? Imagine how different we would see those with whom we disagree if we look not for distinctions, but rather for God's Spirit. Many years ago, Tom Long was the pastor, a new pastor, of a really small church. That very first Sunday, he felt pretty good about himself, and he announced, next Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. in the adult education room, I will be teaching a class, a really good class, on the basics of the Christian faith. If you're new to the faith, he said, or would like a refresher course in the faith, I invite you to join me next Sunday at 10 a.m. He worked all week on the class, and the next week, Reverend Long went to church expecting to be greeted by a throng of people. He was a tad bit disappointed. Seated before him in the classroom were three elementary school children. Three little girls, to be exact. He tried really hard to hide his disappointment, and over the next few weeks, he did the best he could to teach these three all he knew about the Christian faith. The week before Pentecost Sunday, Reverend Long said to them, So, do you three know what Pentecost is? They had no idea. Well, he said, Pentecost was when the church was seated in a circle and uh, tongues of fire came down from heaven and landed on the people's heads, and then they spoke all the languages of the world. Two of the girls took in the news pretty calmly, but one of them was transfixed. Her eyes got as big as saucers. And when she finally could speak, she said, Reverend Long, we must have been absent from church that Sunday. When's that going to happen again? When will that happen again? Do you believe the Spirit of God is active in the world, in your life, at work, in your family? Do you believe the Spirit of God is active, speaking a fresh word that pushes up against and at times even challenges the words you have been given? I really hope you do believe it because all of us, if we're honest with ourselves and with each other, all of us are in some ways trapped. Trapped by either an overzealous commitment to the past or a vision of the future that has no room for the God of our mother's And our fathers. All of us know what it feels like to be trapped by tradition and expectation and interpretation, and all of us know what it feels like to be unmoored by the possibility of an uncertain future that we just can't see. And the good news for us and for the world is that it's in this very space between what God has done and what we hope God will do, where our hearts are constantly broken. It's in that space where the Spirit drops in a fresh word to help us discern together the new thing that God is doing among us that's really just a continuation of all the good things God has done and a glimpse of what God will do. After sharing his faith-shattering experience of the Spirit to his colleagues in Jerusalem, I can imagine Peter pulling everyone together for a post-game huddle, and inviting one of those Gentiles who had received the Spirit to offer the prayer that day. And I imagine the prayer offered, I imagine it sounded a lot like the prayer the one that Isaiah prayed that day when Gainesville and Grapevine played a game for the ages. Lord, I don't know how this happened, so I don't know how to say thank you, but I never would have known there were so many people in the world that cared about us. Amen.